Welcome to our vignettes today, entitled God Minute for Good. Our subtitle is In a Single Day, From Riches to Rags. And of course, we're looking at, finally here, yay, the life of Joseph, the life of Joseph. And there, this book, Genesis particularly, is about beginnings. And we've already discussed this two or three times, but just to recap, because in the book of Genesis, that it, it's the origins of words and relationships, who God is, we learned so much where this world came from, where hum, humans came from, who God is, what man is after the fall, what man, what God will do with man. Genesis is a book of redemption, and we're going towards something. Now, if we miss the Abrahamic covenant, we are not going to understand the remainder of the whole Bible, because the Abrahamic covenant runs from cover to cover, indeed, all the way to the steps of eternity. The, these people, God's earthly people, He made promises to. And He will fulfill their land promises. The kingdom is for the Jews. It's about the Jews. Gentiles will be there. Even we, as believers, will be there. But the kingdom, the land promises, is for the Jews. God made promises and promises He will keep. And this is good news for us. Good news for us. But this, the kingdom, where the story is going to go all the way, is for the Jews. Because God does not speak with forked tongue. He does not give something, promises, and then take them away. Isn't that good news for us? So Genesis 15 is where I want us to look at, just to recap. And remember, God made promises. He, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted or credited as righteousness to him. God banged the judicial uh, gavel, and he said, not guilty. Not guilty. And and Abraham, in God's eyes, was a righteous man because he believed. Not worked, believed. All the way through this book, all the way through, it's not work, works, it is trust, believe in what God has said. And so I particularly want us to look at Genesis 15, verse 13. And he says, God says to Abram, at this point his name is still Abram, know for certain, that is, you get it, Abram, that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years, but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. Afterward, they will come out with many possessions. Verse 15, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. Then, then, 
in the fourth generation, they, your descendants, shall return here to the land of Canaan, the Holy Land, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. You don't think God's patient? Whoa, how long did he wait for the Amorites, which is kind of a catch-off word or term for the Canaanites, all those people. How long did he wait? Well, 400 years. And at some point, God's going to call time. You know, God, God's the one that has the whistle in his hand, and he goes, okay, time's up for this or for that. So, here we have gone through the story. We're all the way up to uh, chapter 37 today. And Abraham didn't know where God was going to do this or when. Um, the, the covenant was confirmed by God to Isaac and to Jacob. They didn't know when or where. Nor do we. You know, it is so difficult on street level, which is what we're looking at, street level in the lives of these men, these families, as ours. It is so difficult on street level to see the invisible hand of God moving, directing, guiding where He wants these people to go and ourselves. See, we have to trust too that God knows what he's doing with us, even if he takes us by way of pain. Joseph said years later from where our story is, the beginnings, God, you meant it for evil. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so God has purposes and plans, decrees, and it's carried out on street level. And if you and I do not factor in when things go bump in the night and we find ourselves in the valley of deep, dark gloom. If we forget to compute God's invisible hand in all things, all things. Uh, Joseph said four times, I think, God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. You see, we have, believers have kind of a sort of a verse like that in Romans 8, 28, don't we? For God, what is it, Romans 8, 28? For God works out all things for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we kind of have a, a parallel verse, don't we, that we can cling to when the nights are long and dark and painful. We can cling to that. I don't know where it fits, but God does. And Joseph had to cling to what he knew, which was limited, about God. And so we can't miss Genesis 15, the Abrahamic covenant, plus that God is going to send somewhere we don't even know where. If you put yourself in the story, really, really, you don't know either. You don't know where it is. You don't know anything except that his descendants are going to be 
oppressed, they're going to be enslaved, and they're going to be there for 400 years, and God's going to call time on the Amorites, the Canaanites. That's all we know at this point. All right, let's go to Genesis 37. We're finally here, sort of, kind of. Verse 1, now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. And remember the last time uh, Jacob ran, he was running for his life because he had stolen the blessing by hook and by crook, deceit and lies and kisses of betrayal, which is nutty crazy because it was already his by God's decree. But by hook and crook, he took it. And of course, he had to leave the land. And so, um, we, he's finally made it back. Uh, when God brought him back to the land, he had, when he left, he had his staff, and that's it. When he comes back, he has four wives, a whole passel of kids, and he's a wealthy man. So, 37, verse 1, he is in the land of promise. Verse 2, these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph was 17 years of age, was pasturing the, pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zelpah, his father's wife. Uh, that, uh, Bilba, Bilhah's sons are Dan and Naphtali, and uh, Zelpah's is Gad and, and Asher. But they're sons of Jacob. Finish the verse. And Joseph brought a brought back a bad report about them to their father. So there's some character issues with these, and we didn't go to them, uh, but there's instances previously, and we're going to thread our needle and go back and pick up some of this story about uh, some of these sons because it's really important to the, the context of our story as we look at Joseph. But for now, we know that he was sent from his dad and he told on his brothers. They, there were character issues. Verse 3, now that's going to set up our story, part of it. Now Israel, that is Jacob, remember the Lord changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a variegated tunic. Now this coat was special stuff because it was a status symbol. It was a status symbol. See, it's real interesting because God told Abraham, Isaac, he's, the, he's, he's my choice, not, not Ishmael, Isaac. And then God told um, Isaac and Rebekah that Jacob was his choice. But God didn't tell Jacob who was would be the carrier of the Messianic line. Didn't tell him. He had no clue. But my guess is that he looked out there at all his kids and he went, wow, these all have really bad character problems. But Joseph is different. He, he's... He has a good character. There's something different about Joseph. And besides, he loved him because he was Rachel's kid. And you remember 
Joseph, Jacob loved Rachel, and he did not love Leah, did not, his first wife. And he got her because he had met his match with Laban, her dad. And so by hook and crook, huh, he got Leah. He didn't want Leah, but he got her. So he's still showing this favoritism, which is deadly in a family, deadly. He loved Joseph more than all of his sons, so he had this pretty tunic, this coat that was a status symbol, which says to his brothers, Daddy has chosen Joseph for the leader. That's what I think. Well, his brothers saw his father loved him more than all the brothers, and they could, so they hated him. They could not speak to him on friendly terms. Isn't that funny? That's human nature, to hate someone in our heart, and we can't even look at them without being angry. They make us so mad, burns us up. They can't talk to him friendly. Well, something's going to happen here. Joseph is going to have a dream, and he thought, I mean, he's 17 years old, and he doesn't have a lot of wisdom, and so he tells his brothers, do you think that he knew they hated him? Probably, but not to the degree that they did. Uh, I think that maybe he was trying to get back and help them understand about him. And so he tells them this dream, and they hated him even more. It didn't work out. They hated him anymore. And so he tells them the dream, and you can read that. And it's about um, everybody's binding sheaths, and Joseph's sheath uh, rose up, stood over, stood erect, and all the brothers' sheaves uh, gathered around him and bowed down. This is going to be very important. And his brothers said, Ha, 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 are you really going to rule over us? And they hated him anymore, even more, for his dreams and for his words. And guess what? He has another dream. He tells it to them uh, that even the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Guess what that meant? He's going to be leader. He's going, to be a, he's going to be a ruler. We don't know where, but they understood what that meant, and they, they just couldn't stand it. And so he related it to his, fathers and his, his father and his brother, and his father rebuked him, but guess what? He kept it in his heart, which means he thought about it. I wonder if Joseph is the one. Well, verse 11, his brothers are jealous of him uh, because of the dreams. And um, so his, everybody leaves. His brothers go out to pasture the flock in Shechem. We're not going to pick that story up, but some really bad stuff happened in Shechem. And so his father sends Joseph out to check on his brothers again. I often wonder, did his daddy even know how much the hatred was in their hearts for this favorite son of his? Did, did he know? If he did... He put his son, the loved one, loved son, in much danger. And so Joseph is true to his form of being loyal and committed to the authority above him. We're going to see that as a character trait throughout all of his life. Uh, so he obeys his dad, and he finally finds them. And uh-oh, when they found, when they saw him, verse 18 and even before he came close to them, guess what they did? Verse 18, they plotted against him to put him to death. Oh, oh my. Oh, my. 
Oh my. And they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. And so they, uh, verse 20, Now then come and let us kill him, throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him, and then let's see what happens to his dreams. What becomes of his dreams? See, that's the funny thing about street level. If you know the decree, you can see how God took their sins. Did God make them sin? Absolutely not. This was in their heart. And sin has its own chains. And they are making chains for themselves. And they're going to get all locked up in these sins. Well, guess what? The very thing they're trying to prevent, that is, Joseph ruling over them, them bowing to him, the very thing they're trying to stop actually helps bring it to pass. That's how, isn't that funny how God works? Isn't that ironic? It's marvelous. It's just marvelous. It's just out of this world how God takes sin and uses it and uses it to bring about his purposes. So, Verse 21, Reuben heard of this, rescued him out of their hands, and said, let's not take his life. Reuben further said, Reuben's number one boy, number one man. Uh, he's the first son of the father. Of, uh, but Reuben is from Leah, and she was the unloved woman. And I'm going to thread this needle a little, back, little bit and go back. Uh, in chapter 35, after Rachel has died, Oh my goodness, the first son of the unloved woman takes one, I think it's Bil, uh, Bilha, and he has sex with his daddy's wife. <gasps> oh my goodness. And so Reuben is, oh my goodness, he is put out to pasture pretty much. But. I think he comes along here and knows that his dad loves Joseph more than all. And he's trying maybe to redeem himself from the dastardly deed that he did. Maybe he was trying to get even uh, for his mother for being unloved. I don't know what it was, but that's what he did. And so Reuben is going to try and save Joseph's life. And that um, he wanted to um, rescue him out of their hands. Verse uh, 23, so it came about when Joseph reached their bro his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the variegated tunic, uh, variegated colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and they threw him in the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. God is moving. Genesis 15. God is moving. God's going to call time. Really soon, we're going to learn some things here. And guess what they did? They throw him in this pit, and he's yelling and screaming and begging for his life. Verse 25, and then they sat down to eat a meal. <laughs> Can you believe that? Flip over with me to uh, Genesis 42, uh, when they're uh, I can't explain it, but this is their first visit. Uh, to Egypt, they don't know it, but Joseph's ruler. In verse 21, 
Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore this distress has come upon us. Sin has its own chains, doesn't it? And so we know that he was crying and begging for his life. And they were eating. How cold, how, how callous they were. And they took that coat, which was everything that reminded them of his special status with their dad. And they ripped it off of him. They threw him in the pit. They're sitting down having a meal. And lo and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming. And down, and they, they were going to go down to Egypt. Verse 26 is very important. Judah said to his brothers, <laughs> Now let's make a deal here. What profit is us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him. Did they really not like, could they really get out of that, that and make themselves innocent as not laying their hand on their brother? But that's what they're going to say. Let's not lay our hand on him, for he, after all, he is our brother, our own flesh, and all of his brothers listen to him. And so this is the first time we've seen Judah since he was named at birth by his mother and Leah. She named him Judah, which means praise. Now that's important for the remainder, uh, especially the New Testament. Praise, praise. That's going to be very important. Judah means praise. Who's going to come out of the tribe of Judah? Yeah, our Savior. Does God have a plan or does God have a plan? And see, when we're looking at street level stuff, oh boy, it sure does is painful. If we do not factor in God has purposes and plans and decrees beyond our little puny finite minds. And so, and so the Ishmaelites came and are the Midianites and kind of one and the same people and so they sell him for guess what 20 shekels of silver which is the price of a slave later on they made it 30 pieces of silver or shekels of silver for prices of a slave and that is the price that our Lord was sold for 30 pieces but here a slave is only worth 20 and they guess what happened they these people in this caravan took Joseph into Egypt. Now we know something about Genesis 15. We know something, but not everything. We just know, we just have a name and a place. So now Reuben returns and, oh my goodness, Joseph's not in the, in the pit. Uh, verse 30, the boy's not there. As for me, where am I to go? Because he's the oldest and he's supposed to be watching out. He's in charge. And look what they did. So they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a male goat. I told you, goats and blood and is going to factor big time from the time that Joseph, I mean, sorry, Jacob and his mama fooled daddy. Those words are going to keep coming up over and over again in our story all the way till we get to uh, the story of Joseph uh, in as ruler. So he, the lies took a male goat, dipped him the dipped that coat, that special coat in, in the blood, and they sent the variegated tunic and brought it to their father and said, so innocently, please examine this to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. 
Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Look over here, verse 20, because that was their plan, that they were going to say a, a, a wild beast devoured him. But see, they didn't have to because the power of suggestion is greater than the power of explanation. They just, they didn't even have to explain. Joseph, uh, Jacob jumped to the decision that a beast had devoured his son. So see, he was fooled by a coat. Did he fool anybody by a coat and a goat and blood? Yeah, he sure did. Is God using these things? Did, did Jacob have his sin and sin has its own chains? Yep, yep, yep. So Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and he mourned for his sons many days. And look for 35 says, all his sons and all his daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol, the grave, this first time that we've seen this word. First time used, the grave, in mourning for my son. And so the father wept for him. Looky here. Looky, cookie. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him to Egypt, in Egypt, to Pharaoh. I'm sorry, to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. So God did not leave him where a billion slaves God put him in a special place. The invisible hand of God can be seen threaded throughout Joseph's life. And I suspect that if you and I had our stories written as detailed as God's um, uh, people are, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we would see God's invisible hand he put us there. He put that person in our life. He restrained us from doing that. He took his hands off and let us fall because sin has its own chains. And I suspect you're like me. We had a few links in the sin chain too. Until, until the Lord Jesus broke those chains. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This story is going someplace. If you miss it, if you miss the little teeny tiny details, read slowly, then think about it. I'm going to leave you with this question. And think about it. Think about it. And then we're going to close up shop here. Joseph was his favorite. And... Who needed to be separated more from each other? Did Joseph need to be separated from his dad more? Or did his dad need to be separated from Joseph? Sometimes God takes away those things that we put first in our life. Because when something is first, then that by necessity, God is second or third or tenth. When we have our whatever it is in front row center, God has to take. We put God in our peripheral vision. 
And sometimes God, sometimes God removes that so He can be first in our life. Think about that question. We don't have answers for it. But as we look at street level happening circumstances, and then we know God's decree, think about that question. Which needed it more? Because God's going to kill two birds with one stone way down the way here. He's going to call time on the Amorites, and he's going to protect his people. we got to flee. This is Lacey Couch. It's been from my heart to yours.